Well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you, and uh, it's great to be together. What an honor and privilege to be here and to speak with us this morning. Uh, so as Stuart has said there, we're now into week two of our Life in the Spirit series. And for this series, seven-week series, uh, we're in the book of Romans, and we are centering ourselves into Romans chapter 8. You um, could do some brilliant work over these uh, few weeks by just rereading that um, book and rereading that chapter. Connect groups start this week as well, and we've got a four-week Connect group series um, based on our study into Romans chapter 8. So if you're in Connect group, uh, you're going to love that. If you're not yet in Connect group, why not sign up this morning? You can get into a Connect group and get the very best out of the teaching to do with this chapter. So last week, if we take you back, Steve Aswood preached last week, and uh, we were on a life of freedom in the Spirit. And we were looking at those first four verses of the book, uh, of the chapter, Romans chapter 8. Therefore, now there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we were looking at what that means, and we were looking at what it means to receive freedom. Where the Spirit of the law is, there is freedom, there is liberty. That whole sense of we are now free and um, this morning, we're going to expand a little bit further. We're going to go into verses 5 to 8. And today, we're going to look at the contrast of life in the Spirit. But let's just put our filter on right at the beginning of this morning and understand how we're going to listen to the words that Paul is writing here and how we can receive them into our hearts. So the chapter starts with, there's no condemnation. And Paul reminding us of our position in Christ. I want us to remind us and again get a revelation this morning of how God sees us. So let's use a couple of pictures. If we're to use the picture of the bride of Christ, I want us to understand that God doesn't see us as the group of people that are becoming the bride of Christ. He sees us as the pure and spotless bride of Christ. He sees you and I today as the finished article, ready to receive the bridegroom. That's how he sees you today. Let's use another analogy that we see throughout the New Testament. Paul often speaks about running a race, the marathon runner. Uh, last week was the London Marathon. You may have seen a bit of the highlights on the telly. A marathon race is a long race. It's something of endurance. And Paul speaks about those of us who are running the race. God sees us as those who have finished the race. He sees you as the person who has burst through the finishing line and is now on the podium with a trophy. He sees you as the one who won the race. That is how God sees you right now. That's how he sees me right now. He doesn't see me as often I see myself. You see, often I see myself as halfway through the marathon. Often I see me around mile 13, mile 14, absolutely shattered, got no ability to put one foot in front of the other and thinking, how am I going to make it to the end? God sees me and champions me in saying, actually, I see you as the one who's finished. I see you as the one who is now righteous, made righteous. So when we read Romans 8, I want us to read it through that filter. I want us to understand that that's how God sees us. And our task is to teach ourselves that if God sees me like that, I can see myself like that. So as we read Romans chapter 8, I don't want you to read it as a set of rules and regulations, a set of steps that God has for you to jump through or hoops for you to jump through in order to live a better life. But I want you to read it through the eyes of God who sees you as the one who is 
the one who's already finished the race, the champion, the one who's done it all. And I want to read this through the gift of the Spirit into our lives, that God wants to gift something to each and every one of us. In fact, he's gifted it to us at the point of salvation. So today, have a revelation of who you are and have a revelation as you receive the words from Paul, Romans chapter 8, that actually God wants to gift to you something in this moment of time. So through this series, we're not preaching rules and regulations, but we're preaching a real sense of the grace of God and resting in the power of the Spirit. That whole phrase, resting in the power of the Spirit, I was reminded of that as I was preparing for this message. Last week, we were in Colorado, and on the way back to the airport, we were being driven in a minibus, and we passed what I can only be described, what I can only describe as the longest train I've ever seen in my life. It literally went on for carriage after carriage after carriage. It was towing um, coal, we think, and um, it just seemed to go on. Someone commented in the minibus, that train went on for a mile. It was that kind of length. And this sense that actually all of that cargo was being pulled by just one engine. There was this one power source at the front end of this incredible uh, long train, incredibly long train. But every single carriage didn't have power of its own. If you left that just on the sidings on its own, it wouldn't be able to move. It had to have the engine. And as we rest in the power of the Spirit, it's a little bit like that. We allow God to do the movement, God to do the work. The Holy Spirit is our engine. He's the source under which we are powered. I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes I need reminding of that. So often I do life in my own strength. I do life in the, Howard's got this. I can make this happen, you know, I've... God's equipped me. He's done things in me. I can make this stuff happen. But today, I want us to remind us of the power of the Spirit at work in us. You see, there's a better way, and that is to rest in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Not to rely on our own strength, but to rely on his strength. Romans 8 verse 4, the last verse that um, Steve introduced to us last week, in the message, really reminds us of this. It will come up on screen. It says this. Now, what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Through the whole of this series, that's the resounding cry of this series, embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. And that leads us to Romans 8, verses 5 to 8. This is where we're in this week. We're going to try and study these four verses. We're going to try and get as much out of them as we possibly can. And then we're going to look to apply them, knowing that as we read them, we can get revelation of what Paul is saying. But above and beyond that, what God is saying to each heart here this morning. This is what it says, Romans 8, verse 5 to 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So this morning, we're looking at the life of contrast in the spirit. Stuart's already referenced that little phrase, chalk and cheese, but as I was preparing, I was thinking of all those other kind of partner words that go together when you think of contrasting words, light and dark, right and wrong, left and right, black and white, 
beginning, end. And then biblically, law and grace. Life before the Spirit, life in the Spirit. They're complete contrasts of phrases and words. I like to think of it a little bit like this. In my um, uh, quest to getting a little bit fitter and sorting some of my diabetes out, I bought a bike. You know that because I spoke about that last time I was here. And I uh, got on the bike, which is always a good thing to do when you buy a bike. And then I've discovered that in Lincoln, there's a really interesting phenomena. If any of you ride a bike and you've ever ridden up and down Tritton Road, you'll know that Tritton Road is kind of like an air column. It's an air stream. But it's got this weird thing about it. It's basically whichever direction you ride on Tritton Road, you've got the wind in your face. Uh, it seems to be this odd phenomena. I will ask God about it when I reach heaven. You know, I will ask him why Tritton Road was so designed to feel like you're into a headwind all the time. Well, the way I see the Spirit of God at work in us is that the Spirit of God is like a tailwind. Okay, so there's a propelling that I get when I'm under the power of the Spirit at work in me. It's no longer hard effort that I have to put in myself. It's no longer as though I'm riding into a headwind. But in life, I've now got the tailwind of the Spirit. In fact, Paul uses the word pneuma in this, the wind of the Spirit, the breath of the Spirit. So I think it's a good analogy to feel as though we're being propelled by the Spirit of God in our lives. And today, we're going to look at those uh, contrasts of the Spirit in our lives. We're going to look at four things this morning. We're going to look at the contrast of ambition. We're going to look at the contrast of condition. We're going to look at the contrast of mindset. And we're going to look at the contrast of control. If you're writing any notes today, write those four things down because we're going to come back to them. We're going to try and unpack each of those. And that'll give you a bit more food for a bit of study this week in your connect groups. So the Spirit is at work in us. We receive the Spirit upon salvation, and he brings about these contrasts. We no longer have to live under the governance of the flesh. We can live under the governance and rule of the Spirit that brings life and peace into each of our hearts. So let's go to the first point, the contrast of ambition. Romans 8 verse 5 says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So there's two ambitions here. There is what the flesh desires and there is what the Spirit desires. You and I will perhaps be very aware in our lives of times when the flesh has desired stuff. So the flesh isn't literally the bones and fabric of my body. The flesh really is my ego. It's the I part of who I am. So when you read the word flesh, I want you to understand it's that self-centric, selfish bit of who I am that only thinks about me. It rages sometimes in all of us. The flesh says, I'd rather do it myself. The flesh says, I've got this. You know, you can often know that you're working out the flesh when your prayer life begins to quieten down a little bit. When you stop asking God for help, when you stop having dialogue with God and when you start to think, actually, I can do this part of life, feel settled here, that's often when you're working out of the flesh, when you're actually putting momentum into your own way of doing things. One area that I, um, my flesh is often uh, quite alive, shall we say, is around food. So I love food. I don't know if you're like me. 
but, and I have, I think, a pretty good relationship with it. If someone puts a plate of food in front of me, I'm satisfied. I'll eat that plate of food. There won't be a lot left, but I will eat it. And, uh, and I'm satisfied. What I don't tend to do then is go around everybody else's plates on the table and take bits off those plates. However, bring a buffet out, and I am like, ah, I'm no longer just hungry. I am now going to eat as many platefuls from this buffet as I possibly can. I don't know if you're the same around food as me, but if food is there, I will eat it. I will nibble, I will eat food. That literally is my flesh saying that um, I need this food to be sustained. Many of us, you know, that's a slightly funny version, but many of us have multiple things in our lives where the flesh needs sustenance and we feel we can feed it in many different ways. But when we become Christians, the spirit of the living God lives and breathes in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And our role as disciples then is to become people who trust the spirit at work in us and quieten the flesh at work in us. So the flesh has ambitions, but also the spirit of the living God has ambitions for us to step into. One of the ambitions the spirit has is to put the flesh to death. I don't know about you, but I know internally there's often a war going on inside of me between what I, my ego, wants and what the spirit of God wants for me. And I know to trust the spirit of God because he always has my good at heart. I know my ego never does. My ego wants the quick fix. My ego wants the immediate. But God wants to develop me and do a work in me. And the Spirit of God wants to breathe something of him into who I am. So there's a war going on. As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking, is that right or wrong for you and I as Christians to have an internal war? Should we not be those who just submit to the Spirit and all of a sudden everything changes internally? Well, we do know that Christ is victorious. We do know that he's won the battle. We do know that the final battle is won. He is the one who wears the victor's crown. He is seated because it's a done, finished, completed work. But we also know that we live in the gap between us personally receiving and understanding that full revelation of his victory. And therefore, there is continuous in each and every one of us a battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. Now, the spirit has won. The Spirit is victorious. But there are still things that you and I, every single day, have to remind, come under the victory of the Spirit. Come under the power of the Spirit in our lives. When I was growing up, I, in our youth group, there was about 30 of us in our youth group, and we used to play a game outside called a wide game. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a little bit like paintballing, but without the bruises. Uh, and basically, you would have, uh, you'd split your young people into two groups, and each one of those groups would have a base. And in the base would be a flag. And each member of each group would then have a ribbon or a tag attached to their belt. And that would be their life. And the task was to get as many lives from the other group and ultimately to claim the flag from the other person's base. So the, the battle would commence, for want of a better term, and often it was a battle. Uh, the battle would commence, and it was your task as a team to go and raid the other camp and to raise high the flag. We've now conquered the flag. And what would happen, because we were spread out over a wood or over a big field, uh, one group would win. They'd go and raise the flag and say, we've won. 
But of course, those who could not see that flag or those who were still having smaller battles or skirmishes away from that, those things would continue until the news of the battle being won had gone all the way through the team. And it's in a similar kind of vein to the flesh and the spirit. The spirit has won, the spirit is victorious, but the news of that spirit's victory has to disseminate down to the flesh. And every part of our flesh needs to come under the authority of that. John Piper writes it like this, the spirit has captured the capital and broken the back of the resistance movement. The flesh is as good as dead. Its doom is sure. But there are outlying pockets of resistance. The guerrillas of the flesh will not lay down their arms and must be fought back daily. The only way to do that is by the Spirit. And that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. I find that Paul's writing in Galatians is a really helpful accompaniment to Paul's writing here in Romans. So in Galatians chapter 5, you can perhaps read this in parallel with Romans chapter 8. Galatians chapter 5 says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you are struggling in the desires of the flesh, one way to um, defeat that is to walk in the Spirit. It's to set your path in a completely different way. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then Galatians 5 goes on to outline what it means, what the attributes of being led by the flesh look like, and then what the attributes of being led by the Spirit look like. And you and I as disciples, with the gift of the Spirit within us, are being developed in the walking with the Spirit. So if there's a war going on inside of you, don't worry. That's part of the outworking of the Christian lifestyle. It's actually, uh, you would much rather have a war going on than no war, and you just submitting to the power of the flesh. So the first point today, the contrast of ambition. We now have the ability to step into the Spirit's ambition for our lives. Our second point, the contrast of condition. The contrast of condition. Verse 6 says this, The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So here there's two conditions. The first is the mind governed by the flesh. And the second is the mind governed by the Spirit. So there's two conditions that you and I can live in. But each of those conditions has a resulting characteristic with it. So the condition of being governed by the flesh, is de- the result is death. The condition of being... Um, Governed by the Spirit, the result of that is life and peace. So if we think of the flesh being our sinful nature, if we're governed by that, it leads to death. Paul speaks about four different things in these verses about what it looks like to be governed by the flesh. In verse 6, he talks about what it's bound up with death. Being governed by the flesh is being bound up with death. It's the only result of being led by the flesh. In verse 7, he speaks about it being hostile to God. There's a hostility to God. If you're you're governed by the flesh, it results in it being hostile to God. Also, it's insubordination to God. So actually, it will not bow to who God is. And the final thing in verse 8 is it's unacceptable to God. So to be led by the flesh, to be under the authority of the flesh, is unacceptable to him. And the result of this condition is death. Now, that's not just the final death 
of a human condition. But it's actually literally the reverse of John 10.10, you know, living life in all of its fullness. It's actually uh, to be person governed by your flesh. You're not responding in any way to the life that Christ has for you, but you're responsive to a death. You're living out a deathly walk. When we live without God in the world, we live without hope. Living like this means that life is not fulfilled as it was meant to be fulfilled. But however, there's an incredible promise in these passages that when we are governed by the Spirit, the result of that is life and peace. Literally, Paul's phrase here means to have the mind of the Spirit, or in essence, the thinking of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but if that results in life and peace, that's something I want to pursue. I want to pursue what it is to have the mind of the Spirit, to be under the authority and the governance of that, because I know the result of that is it leads to life and peace. So how does it work out? Well, here's one way it works out. So you and I know that we're in a battle. There is a battle that's going on. There's a contrast of authorities and rules in our lives. So when we get a thought or an attribute that comes into our head that we know is of the flesh, the, the route to pursue under the Spirit is to take captive that thought and to bring it under the authority of the Spirit and then to contradict that thought with the truth of what God says. I love that passage that in the Scripture tells us to take captive or to be renewed, the other passages, by, uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this incredible sense that as we become more aware of the Spirit's governance in our lives, the governance of the flesh becomes lesser and lesser. For many of you, you will be struggling with areas of sin. There'll be things that you're walking through. We've all been there. There are areas for all of us. We're sinful by nature. And the way to overcome that sin is to become God conscious rather than sin conscious. To become more conscious of the spirit at work in us than we are of the sin at work. And this then results in life. So this is the sort of life that being a person governed by the spirit looks like. It is already eternal life. That's a great revelation if you've not yet caught it. If you've not yet caught that by receiving Christ, you have eternal life promised to you from that moment of time. That's not something you're waiting for. It's not waiting until you get to heaven to receive that eternal life. You can step into, in fact, you have stepped into right now, right today, that eternal life. You've got an eternal life perspective. As we sang this morning and as we pray this morning and as we meet this morning, it's part of our eternal life story. We are here in God for eternity. We live spiritually in an eternal kingdom. We have been raised now to sit with Christ in heavenly places. That's who you and I are. That's how we can see ourselves and see one another. So this means that this new life is free from corruption. It's free from sin. It's holy because it is created in the likeness and character of God. So you and I are new creations in Christ with the Spirit of God living and breathing in us. So there I've just said we're free from sin. But every single one of us are thinking, well, actually, I think I sinned yesterday. I might have even sinned this morning when I fall short of the glory of God. 
So Paul addresses this in the chapter before. He talks about this in chapter 7. He actually says this in verse 17. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it. So Paul's there speaking about his new creation. I am a new creation, so I'm no longer doing this stuff, but it is the sin living in me. So there's this sin that's awakened in me or alive in me that is under, now becoming under the authority of the Spirit of God. And as I concentrate and focus on the Spirit at work in me, the sin becomes lessened in who I am. And this life then is expressed. It's expressed in our wonderful um, honor of approaching Jesus. It's expressed in our life of prayer, of adoration, of worship. It's expressed in our life of reading scriptures. It's expressed in our life of gathering together. You see, we don't do these things because someone told us we should. We do these things because we're alive in those moments of time, because the Spirit is alive in us. And what a joy it is. So it results in life when we become people governed by the Spirit, but it also results in peace. And peace is an essentially a Christian characteristic. So peace is something that is given to us by God. It's a result of the Spirit at work in our lives. And if you're anything like me, I first think about peace, about living a peaceful life, experiencing peace in my daily walk. But of course, there's a higher peace than that. And the first peace is this, that we're really at peace with God. You see, before we knew Christ, we were enemies of God. But now we're at peace with him. He's made peace for us. We are saved from the wrath of God against sin. God declares that we're completely holy in his sight. This results in things like us having a friend in our Heavenly Father, where we enjoy the smile of God and that we dwell in his love. That's the peace that the Spirit of God awakens in us when we're under his governance. And we experience peace. You know, so we know that we are now at peace with God, but we also get to experience peace in our lives. So there's a contrast of ambition. There's a contrast of condition. And then thirdly, there's a contrast of mindset. This we see throughout Scripture, often Paul talking about our minds, to have the same mind as Christ, etc. But here in verse 7, it says this, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so? So let's get a bit of an understanding of mind because often we confuse mind with brain. Mind really is the seat of our thinking, our reasoning, our planning, our action making, our application and our aspirations of life. And our mind, as Paul is saying, can be governed by two areas. It can be governed by our flesh or it can be governed by the spirit. So if our thinking, our reasoning and planning is governed by the flesh, it's selfish and it's self-centered. If it's um, governed by the spirit, it's God-focused. It's in line with his plan and his purposes. And here we use that phrase quite often through Romans 8 of your mind set. We've combined that into our language nowadays, haven't we, of mindset. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a Christian um, neuroscientist, says this about mindset. A mindset is an attitude or a cluster of thoughts with attached information and emotions that generate a particular perception. They shape how you see and interact with the world. They can catapult you forward, allowing you to achieve your, your dreams, or put you in reverse drive if you are not careful. So I'm an introvert. Um, you might not know that. I stand on a platform, I lead worship, I speak to you, and you're perhaps thinking, actually, he's no way introverted. But um, there's a strong introverted um, thing that runs through my natural person. 
it results really in me getting and receiving energy from being on my own. I love my own space, uh, and I love being in my own, um, my own space. But it also results in me creating wrong and strange mindsets around other areas of time. So let me let you into a little secret. The two-minute social, I die on the inside, okay? Now, don't worry, I've seen you go to the toilet at the same time, so I know a few of you do exactly the same, okay? You extroverts in the room, you are like, what are you on about? I have no idea what you're talking about. That's the best bit of the service. But for us introverts, give us a bit of space. We don't like it, okay? And I form a mindset around it. And my mindset is, no one's going to want to talk to me. No one's going to want to um, meet with me because I've got nothing to bring into that conversation. And then I start to outwork my behavior through fear. So I start to think, well, what's go what are people going to think about me? So I actually just re um, retract, move backwards, actually don't want to engage. But of course, our value set and a value set of mine would be to build relationally and to have relationships at the core of who we are. So I have to overcome that mindset, and I have to allow the Spirit of God at work in me to be the one who is, I'm under the authority of, not my flesh, okay? Because my flesh at that moment of time is screaming, okay? But the Spirit of God is saying, no, you're here to love, and I want to see that outworked in you. Put me in a party, I'm even worse, all right? So you will find me in the kitchen, often in the corner, sometimes even staring at the wall in the corner. <laughs> Don't worry, I know some of you are like, yep, absolutely. You've just kind of found somebody that you can relate to. I'm exactly like that. All right. And, um, but the mindset bit is the bit that I have to bring under the authority of the Spirit of God. Now, you can interpret that story in many other ways that are real for you. Okay. So how do we live with a mind on what the Spirit desires? Well, I think the book of James that we studied at the beginning of the year can really help us. In the first uh, chapter, James chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, the implanted word literally is the word of God. So when we become people who understand the word of God, and we have that as truth in our lives, it rises up, it allows us to overcome the mindsets of the flesh with the truth of who God is. Dave puts it in a brilliant way. There are some facts, mindsets, flesh stuff, but there's the truth of God that's higher. And when we know the truth and the truth is allowed to raise in our lives, then actually those mindsets come under the authority of the word of God. That's really what James 1 is telling us, the implanted word of God. It lives in me. It comes out of me. I can speak to myself with the truth of what the word says. You see, for every single one of us, there's areas in our minds, our mindsets, that we need to wire out, and there's areas in our mindsets that we need to wire in. And the truth of God, his word, is the area that we need to wire into our neurons, the way that we think, the way that we behave, do you realize that you can do that on a daily basis? There are new cells in your brain every single morning, and you can train and develop those cells to think and behave how God wants you to by bringing them under the authority of God. So there's a contrast of mindsets. It's a contrast of ambition, a contrast of condition, and a contrast of mindset. And the final thing is a contrast of control. 
We see this in verse 8, and we'll just go into verse 9 as well. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. This is good news for you and I who've given our hearts to Christ. You see, we are now in the realm or the authority or we're under the control. We submit now to the control of the Spirit. The question for our lives really is, who are we controlled by? You see, before we knew Christ, we were in control of our very beings. We were in control. The flesh was rampant in our lives. It was in control. Whereas now, by submitting to Christ, we submit all of that authority to who he is. We're now under his control. We're learning to submit. We're growing as disciples, submitting to the way of Christ. Our old sinful nature can never please God, but we can be those who live under the Spirit of God. So how do we apply this? Let's land uh, this with three thoughts, I think, today. Because you and I are being developed. You and I know that there are areas that are still to come under the authority of the Spirit of God, to receive that full life and peace. I think there's three things that perhaps we could even try this week and begin to get, build patterns of behavior around them. The first is this, to rest in the promises of God. If we go right back to the beginning of our message today. We were talking about this isn't rules and regulations, hoops for us to jump through, but this is an attitude of heart to understand that actually if the Spirit is in me, I'm going to rest just like those carriages on that train behind his power as he moves forward. You see, there is life in the Spirit when our heart is resting in the promises of God. How do you receive the promises of God? Well, they are all packed into Scripture. That's what the Word of God is. It's the promise of God to our lives. So become people who develop a habit of reading Scripture. When uh, I don't know if you know this, but the greatest place we can position ourselves for spiritual formation is by reading the Word of God. The Word of God is living, active, and true. You can um, add other things into that like prayer and worship and uh, attending Sunday services and connect groups and all those sort of things that are beneficial to you. But the greatest spiritual formation you will ever do is by landing yourself and centering yourself in the word of God. So if you don't yet do that on a daily basis, don't worry. It's a part of the journey of becoming a Christian. And uh, why don't you begin this week to form a habit where you begin to read a portion of scripture. Begin to meditate on it. Begin to reflect on what God is saying into it. And begin to stand on the truth and the promises of the word of God, understanding that that's the spirit at work in you. But rest in the promises of God. We don't have to be those who have to make it happen. We rest in who the spirit is and what he's already doing in our lives. The second point on top of resting in the promises of God is to maintain a daily focus. You see, there is a daily war that's happening internally. And um, for you and I, the way to overcome that is to have a daily fixed focus upon Christ, upon the Spirit of God. And that really means for you and I to counteract what the world teaches us. You see, the world teaches us to be multitaskers. The world teaches us to be people who can do multiple things all at the same time. Do you know what? That's robbing us of what the way God intended us to live. You see, God intended us to live with our eyes fixed upon him, to have a focus upon who he is, and out of that, to go and do. He intended us to live 
with our eyes drawn to one thing, to who he is, to one thing, to Christ, to the spirit of the living God. So be people who maintain a daily focus. Don't be people of distraction. You know, this is a challenge to my own heart. Don't be Howard. Don't be somebody who's continually distracted. But, be, but chase after one thing and align myself with what the Spirit of God is doing me. So rest in the promises of God and maintain a daily focus. And here's the third thing. You see, for many of us, that um, battle or that skirmish that's taking place between the flesh and then contrast that with the authority of the Spirit. Sometimes we just need a bit of help with that. Some of us need a spring clean every so often in areas that we've begun to understand. Well, that's, a, that's a lie. And I shouldn't be adopting that into my life. But how do I overcome that lie? How do I believe a new truth? How do I change a mindset around that? And here at Alive, we launched a year or so ago a course. It's been running nationally, in fact, internationally, called Freedom in Christ. And our next part of the Freedom in Christ course is starting in September this year, which I know is still a few months away. But the Freedom in Christ course is an incredible discipleship tool for, for allowing you to become people who, or allowing us to become people under the authority of the Spirit. It does a few things. One thing is it allows you to understand the lies that we've been taught, some of the things that the world has taught us that we can build our life on, and counteract those with the truth of Scripture. And then it builds patterns in our life over the course of 40 days where we speak truth and we begin to understand the new, higher truth of Jesus Christ over those particular areas. I would wholeheartedly recommend to you today, if there are areas in your life that have you know, as I told my food story, or as I told my introvert story, you're like, well, actually, there's this in my life that I've never really overcome. Can I encourage you to sign up for Freedom in Christ? You can find out more about it. But why not take a step today and say, I know it's in September, but I'm going to step towards becoming freer in that particular area. You know, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But sometimes we just need some support and help and ways to move that forward. And freedom in Christ, I believe, is an incredible tool for us to action that. You can sign up for that today by going to the Connect area at the back and just putting your name down on a piece of paper and saying, when freedom in Christ uh, is announced, I would love to be a part of that. So three things. Rest in the promises of God. Secondly, build a daily focus. Focus on Christ. And again, keep the word at the center of that. And thirdly, if you know that actually there are areas in my life that the flesh is just, I can't, um, I can't allow, I can't see the authority of that dropping. I need some help. Freedom in Christ is an incredible tool for that. So church, it's been an honor and a privilege uh, to speak with you again this morning, speak in this place this morning. Let's just remember that as we live under the power of the Spirit, we have the uh, wonderful gift of living with a contrast of ambition, a contrast of condition, a contrast of mindset, and a contrast of control. This morning, I'd love to give an opportunity for anybody who's yet to start that journey of giving their life to Jesus, becoming a Christian, becoming a disciple or a follower of Christ, receiving the Spirit of God that we've talked about this morning, the one who wants to bring you life and peace. Maybe you've never made a decision. Maybe you've never publicly said or even privately said, Jesus, I want to follow you. We want to give you an opportunity to do that 
this morning. We do this at every Sunday service across our life because we believe it's so important to give you an opportunity this morning to begin a journey of following Jesus. It's a really simple process. We're going to put a prayer up on the screen. Every single one of us is going to read this prayer together. Then at the end of the prayer, I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads. And if you said the prayer for the very first time, and if you want to make a decision this morning to say, I want to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just by raising a hand, I'll see that. And one or two of my friends who've got a book will, bring, uh, will see your hand as well. And they'll bring a book to you. And that book will help you start the journey of becoming a Christian. And we'd love to get to know you and allow you to take those first steps uh, really, really well. So if we can read this prayer together, church, and then I'll ask you to bow your heads. Let's read together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. Let's bow our heads. And in this moment, if there's anyone here this morning who's prayed that prayer for the very first time, and you'd like to make a decision to follow Jesus, would you just raise your hand for me? I'd love my friends to bring you a book to help you start that journey well. Wonderful. Is there anyone here this morning who wants to make that decision? Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful. What an honor it's been to speak with you this morning. Uh, Get into a connect group this week. Get the most out of Romans chapter 8. And this week, let's be people who learn to rest in the presence and rest in the um, truth of who Jesus says we are. To be people who have a daily focus. And don't forget, if you want to sign up for Freedom in Christ, go and sign up at the back. Thank you, Irene.